0: Section seventy-two of Montcalm and Wolfe by Francis Parkman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty-two, seventeen sixty-three to eighteen eighty-four. Conclusion. This, said Earl Granville on his deathbed, has been the most glorious war, and the most triumphant peace that England ever knew. Not all were so well pleased, and many held with Pitt, that the house of Bourbon should have been forced to drain the cup of humiliation to the dregs. Yet the fact remains that the Peace of Paris marks an epoch than which none in modern history is more fruitful of grand results. With it began a new chapter in the Annals of the World. To borrow the words of a late eminent writer, it is no exaggeration to say that three of the many victories of the Seven Years' War determined for ages to come the destinies of mankind. With that of Rossbach, began the recreation of Germany. With that of Plassey the influence of Europe told for the first time since the days of alexander on the nations of the east with the triumph of wolfe on the heights of abraham began the history of the united states so far however as concerns the war in the germanic countries it was to outward seeming but a mad debauch of blood and rapine ending in nothing but the exhaustion of the combatants the havoc had been frightful according to the king of prussia's reckoning eight hundred and fifty three thousand soldiers of the various nations had lost their lives besides hundreds of thousands of non-combatants who had perished from famine exposure disease or violence and with all this waste of life not a boundary line had been changed the rage of the two empresses and the vanity and spite of the concubine had been completely foiled frederick had defied them all and had come out of the strife intact in his own hereditary dominions and master of all that he had snatched from the empress queen while prussia portioned out by her enemies as their spoil lay depleted indeed and faint with deadly striving but crowned with glory and with the career before her which through tribulation and adversity was to lead her at last to the headship of a united germany through centuries of strife and vicissitude the french monarchy had triumphed over nobles parliaments and people gathered to itself all the forces of the state beamed with illusive splendors under Louis the great and shone with the phosphorescence of decay under his contemptible successor. Till now, robbed of prestige, burdened with debt, and mined with corruption, it was moving swiftly and more swiftly towards the Abyss of Ruin. While the war hastened the inevitable downfall of the French monarchy, it produced still more notable effects. France under Colbert had embarked on a grand course of maritime and colonial enterprise and followed it with an activity and vigour that promised to make her a great and formidable ocean power it was she who led the way in the east first trained the natives to fight her battles and began that system of mixed diplomacy and war which imitated by her rival enabled a handful of Europeans to master all India. In North America, her vast possessions dwarfed those of every other nation. She had built up a powerful navy and created an extensive foreign trade. All this was now changed. In India, she was reduced to helpless inferiority, with total ruin in the future, and of all her boundless territories in North America nothing was left but the two island rocks on the coast of Newfoundland that the victors had given her for drying her codfish. Of her navy scarcely forty ships remained, all the rest were captured or destroyed. She was still great on the continent of Europe. But as a world power her grand opportunities were gone in england as in france the several members of the state had battled together since the national life began and the result had been not the unchecked domination of the crown but a system of balanced and adjusted forces in which king nobility and commons all had their recognized places and their share of power thus in the war just ended two great conditions of success had been supplied a people instinct with the energies of ordered freedom and a masterly leadership to inspire and direct them all and more than all that france had lost england had won now for the first time she was beyond dispute the greatest of maritime and colonial powers portugal and holland her precursors in ocean enterprise had long ago fallen hopelessly behind two great rivals remained and she had humbled the one and swept the other from her path spain with vast american possessions was sinking into the decay which is one of the phenomena of modern history while france of late a most formidable competitor had abandoned the contest in despair england was mistress of the seas and the world was thrown open to her merchants explorers and colonists a few years after the peace the navigator cook began his memorable series of voyages, and surveyed the strange and barbarous lands which after times were to transform into other Englands, vigorous children of this great mother of nations. It is true that a heavy blow was soon to fall upon her. Her own folly was to alienate the eldest and greatest of her offspring. BUT NOTHING COULD ROB HER OF THE GLORY OF GIVING BIRTH TO THE UNITED STATES, AND, THOUGH POLITICALLY SEVERED, THIS GIGANTIC PROGENY WERE TO BE NOT THE LESS A SOURCE OF GROWTH AND PROSPERITY TO THE PARENT THAT BORE THEM, JOINED WITH HER IN A TRIPLE KINSHIP OF LAWS, LANGUAGE, AND BLOOD the war or series of wars that ended with the peace of paris secured the opportunities and set in action the forces that have planted english homes in every clime and dotted the earth with english garrisons and posts of trade with the peace of paris ended the chequered story of new france a story which would have been a history if faults of constitution and the bigotry and folly of rulers had not dwarfed it to an episode yet it is a noteworthy one in both its lights and its shadows in the disinterested zeal of the founder of quebec the self-devotion of the early missionary martyrs and the daring enterprise of explorers in the spiritual and temporal vassalage from which the only escape was to the savagery of the wilderness and in swarming corruptions which were the natural result of an attempt to rule by the absolute hand of a master beyond the atlantic a people bereft of every vestige of civil liberty civil liberty was given them by the british sword but the conqueror left their religious system untouched and through it they have imposed upon themselves a weight of ecclesiastical tutelage that finds few equals in the most catholic countries of europe such guardianship is not without certain advantages when faithfully exercised it aids to uphold some of the tamer virtues if that can be called a virtue which needs the constant presence of a sentinel to keep it from escaping but it is fatal to mental robustness and moral courage and if french canada would fulfil its aspirations it must cease to be one of the most priest-ridden communities of the modern world scarcely were they free from the incubus of france when the British provinces showed symptoms of revolt. The measures on the part of the mother country which roused their resentment, far from being oppressive, were less burdensome than the navigation laws to which they had long submitted, and they resisted taxation by Parliament simply because it was in principle opposed to their rights as freemen. They did not, like the American provinces of Spain at a later day, sunder themselves from a parent fallen into decrepitude, but with astonishing audacity they affronted the wrath of England in the hour of her triumph, forgot their jealousies and quarrels, joined hands in the common cause, fought, endured, and won. The disunited colonies became the United States. The string of discordant communities along the Atlantic coast has grown to a mighty people, joined in a union which the earthquake of civil war served only to compact and consolidate. Those who in the weakness of their dissensions needed help from England against the savage on their borders have become a nation that may defy every foe but that most dangerous of all foes herself destined to a majestic future if she will shun the excess and perversion of the principles that made her great prate less about the enemies of the past and strive more against the enemies of the present resist the mob and the demagogue as she resisted Parliament and King. Rally her powers from the race for gold, and the delirium of prosperity, to make firm the foundations on which that prosperity rests, and turn some fair proportion of her vast mental forces to other objects than material progress and the game of party politics." she has tamed the savage continent peopled the solitude gathered wealth untold waxed potent imposing redoubtable and now it remains for her to prove if she can that the rule of the masses is consistent with the highest growth of the individual that democracy can give the world a civilization as mature and pregnant, ideas as energetic and vitalizing, and types of manhood as lofty and strong as any of the systems which it boasts to supplant. End of section seventy two. End of Montcalm and Wolfe by Francis Parkman, Jr.